everybody. This is Clothed Men Discuss Bare Naked Ladies. I'm Chris Small. Today I am wearing athletic shorts and a singlet from an Australian youth basketball competition that I did not participate in. Uh, does it have as cool a name as the Robbie? Speaking of youth sports tournaments? It does not, unfortunately. They need to workshop that. And I am Ephraim Ellis, and this evening I am wearing blue jeans and a black t-shirt with a graphic of the city of Winnipeg and the slogan, Muddy Waters, Blue Skies. He could not get more Canadian, and I could get not more Australian with our outfit, so we got the whole geographical distance between us very much enforced. Because it's very, very interesting to talk about the weather. It's still like summertime kind of weather down with you guys right now? The balmy days of February. Amazing. <laughs> Where we pull out the barbecue, go to the beach, you know, typical February stuff. That's perfect, as opposed to Toronto, which is still under a stay-at-home order, and it's snowing like crazy all the time. Not bad times for to be staying at home and cooped up. Bad circumstances, but it gives us a time to connect and talk about our favorite albums. Specifically, today, we're talking about Bare Naked Ladies Are Me. Off the bat, not one of my favorite albums. And yet again, just like Maybe You Should Drive, I remembered this being one of my favorite albums, and it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's fine. It's pretty good, but... Mm. It's fine, yeah, that, that's the lead-off. That's what we'll go with. I mean, there, there's a couple of good tracks in there, and we'll get into it, but it was one that when we started up this series, I knew when we got to this one I was just kind of thinking I don't have a lot to contribute not a fan of a lot of the songs but you know what we got to do it we got to do it for our our 25 unique fans that we have going on and if you want to be a fan and if you like what you're hearing please give us a review give us a like wherever you get your podcasts five-star rating get, t- tell your friends you know it's nice Ephraim and I are having a good time talking enjoying each other's company uh, we want you to listen along too we want you to uh, let us know how we're doing and uh, your opinions if they match with ours and if they don't that's cool too as the kids say smash that like button and subscribe smash that like button and subscribe very succinct mm-hmm. Speaking of listeners, as we record this episode, we actually finally have some listener feedback and responses. Do share! Which is kind of cool. So, full disclosure, this listener feedback is from a good friend of both Chris and I's who Chris went to university with and who is the husband of one of my best friends from high school and stuff. Still a listener. Uh, still a listener. He has been listening to every single episode. He's been texting me right after he listens to it with many, many comments. It's actually been kind of cool because I've been getting, like, I didn't know that he was so into this band and I've been uh, sharing some cool stories with him, which is neat. But we just released the Maroon episode and famously at the end of that episode, the two of us said, Kevin Hearn has a really, really nice voice, but I mean, he couldn't be a front man of a band or anything and david fisher texted me and said uh kevin hearn does have a band you idiots it's called kevin hearn and thin buckle they have four albums uh and then i felt really bad about not knowing kevin hearn's band in his defense the you idiots was my emphasis he was much more polite about oh this is negative feedback we got I think that I still stand by my statement, but uh, it's interesting because Kevin Hearn does have a track on this album, and of all of the ones that feature his voice, uh, I think this is probably one of my favorite, actually, and we'll get into that track in a little bit. So so there we go. He is improving. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that opinion. Also from that listener, we have an answer to a question we posed in our very, very first episode. What is the oh, 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 a reference to a new kid on the block? It is explicitly a reference to the song You Got It. The Right Stuff by New Kids on the Block. Nice. There we go. We are getting the answers that we seek one episode at a time. 
which is good. Mm-hmm. We recorded that episode in July. It was a long payoff, but it's worth it now. February came back. It's good. So basically what we're saying is, listeners, you don't have to know us personally. If you know the answers to any of the questions that we have posed and said, yeah, I don't know. We only sort of researched this podcast. Please let us know. Yes. And as, as it's fair to say, um, you can tack on, you idiots, and we'll, we'll take it in good stride. But we do have some facts that cannot be disputed, beginning with the release date. Bare Naked Ladies Army was released worldwide September 12th, 2006. Number one song on the Billboard 100 that week, Sexy Back by Justin Timberlake. He was taking Sexy Back. He didn't have a receipt. And nobody, nobody knew how to act. Was that off Future Sex? Future Sex Love Sounds, that's right. Love Sounds. Okay, it took me a second... I could not remember the actual name of that record because famously when our sketch troupe was spitballing names for our sketch troupe when we settled on the rocket scientists, one of our runner-up sketch troupe names was Future Sketch Laugh Sounds, which I think was Brandon Hackett's idea, and I'm still kind of sad we didn't go with that It one. was great. I do remember we kind of said, ah, oh, this might date us a bit. It probably would have, but at the same time, because I mean, we found it in what, 2009, and that album was already three years old, but you know what? Three? years isn't a long time in music history i don't think especially now that i'm like now that like i'm doing this podcast and thinking about that stuff more regularly three years is not a long time it's not it's funny looking up the singles and you know like what was doing well on the charts at that time because it really is just a time capsule or a you know a chapter in history it's really interesting specifically mm-hmm. looking at the next song which was the number one single of the year end 2006 billboard charts bad day by daniel powder Canadian was a huge song when it was released, and it was the first song in history to sell two million digital copies in the U.S. Hell yeah, represent. I completely forgot about that song until when we were in our hard lockdown. My family were playing board games. We've got a whole playlist going on. And my brother-in-law put on Bad Day by Daniel Powder. I'm like, I completely forgot that this song existed. I like it. I understand why it was catchy. I also understand why it's instantly forgettable afterwards. But it's good stuff. (laughs) And the number one song on the Canadian Billboard 2006 charts, Do I Make You Proud by Taylor Hicks of Australia. of Australian Idol. Do I Make You Proud by Taylor Hicks of American Idol fame spent 15 weeks at number one in Canada. See, that's crazy because I definitely remember Sexy Back. I definitely remember Bad Day. I do not know that. Like, I, I, I could not hum it any section of do i make you proud i don't remember that song at all yeah i looked it up i listened to it and even then i'm like i do not remember this being on the radio at the time so well there you go but taylor hicks huge in canada good for him the album reached number seven in canada and 17 in the u.s three singles from the album were released easy wind it up and sound of your voice easy would be the last successful single with stephen page in the band reaching number one on the canadian adult contemporary chart Seeing where it landed on the charts in both Canada and the United States really surprised me because this is the first record that they recorded after deciding to not renew their contract with their uh, major record label. That's right, yeah. Which I believe was Reprise Records. And I honestly thought that this did not have nearly as much of a widespread release when it came out because like, when Everything to Everyone came out, it felt like a major release. And then when this came 
came out, it definitely, to me, felt more like definitely an indie band <laughs> release, even though it was the Bare Naked Ladies and they charted so high. Yeah, they did a lot of kind of viral or guerrilla stunts, too, to promote it, which might also explain it as well. They did a remix contest with some fans where they took five songs from the album and gave them free use to people and said, remix these and we'll release them on an album. And that never came to fruition because a couple of years after that was done and people submitted, Stephen Page would famously leave the band. So unfortunately, uh, someone who did a sweet remix of Wind It Up is probably still waiting for that to be released. But unfortunately, it's not going to happen, at least officially. If we get right into the album, actually, the whole thing is kind of a confusing mess. 29 songs were recorded for this album. And depending on who you ask, how you get your music, you either look at this as the first of two albums released six months between each other, one giant album, or a deluxe album with a whole bunch of singles and releases. But to really milk this podcast and make sure we get to 15 episodes, we're looking at this as a standalone seventh album with 13 tracks. I definitely personally think of it as a double album that for some reason the two discs were released six months apart. When Our Men came out, I specifically remember thinking, wait, what? What do you mean they have another record? And it's named exactly the same thing. I'm very confused. And that kind of sums up my opinion of both of those albums, too. I don't think this needed to be a double album or two separate studio albums. I think that there's a pretty darn good 12 to 14 track record between these two studio albums. Yeah. And I honestly don't know why they didn't kind of whittle it down to the best of the two and just release one album. I agree. It's really funny, too, because the actual way that they decided this was going to be two separate releases and also what the track listing was going to be is that back in 2006, they were going to play the Glenn Gould Studio in the CBC Broadcast Building, and they were going to premiere all 29 tracks. And then they stopped themselves saying, well, this isn't feasible, and settled on 12 to 14 tracks. And then, of course, they played some of their biggest hits, uh, which is how the track list was formed. Basically, before they were going on, they're like, you know, even the, the most diehard fan, is anyone going to want to listen to 29 brand new songs eventually you're going to want to hear one week in brian wilson that's absolutely insane <laughs> yeah was the glenn gould show was that supposed to be like a radio release or was it like a tv special i don't think it was a tv special i think they were going to record it as i think they broadcast it live on cbc radio one but it was going to be i actually used to work at the glenn gould studio which was one of my favorite jobs i remember that that was cool yeah got to meet a lot of really cool people got to meet some cool bands got to meet kevin drew once which was great because i was wearing a do make say think shirt and he was like i fucking love that band and i'm like of course you would because you know your bandmates with someone who's in that. But I'm like, oh, this was just good timing. But it was a really nice, intimate studio. And a lot of musicians just liked playing there because the acoustics were just famously amazing. So I think just intimate concerts that just happened to be broadcast and a chance for them to showcase some of their new stuff. It's a really, really, really good space. It's gorgeous. I think I, I, think I saw Molly Johnson there once. That was a really, really good show. It yeah. favors their type of music too, the Bare Naked Ladies. So. Mm -hmm. so when we talk about it, I mean, you can kind of hear and we've alluded to it. I'm not not a huge fan of this album, not a huge fan of Our Men, but this does give me, it, it holds a personal kind of special place in my heart because this was around the time that I started having disposable income and I was able to go to concerts. So this is the first time I saw the Bare Naked Ladies live was actually when they were promoting this album at the ACC. And it was a really good concert. It kicked off just me seeing them. I think I've seen them about five or six times now. The I only have seen them twice with Stephen Page. So uh, one of these times. 
times. That concert, David Suzuki opened for them and talked about climate change, and he was met with a rock star reception. It was amazing. That is absolutely wild, and I am not surprised at all now that you've told that story. That is extremely on brand for both the band and for David Suzuki. I think that's fantastic. Oh, man. He came up, and then Ed Robinson proceeded to do a freestyle rap about David Suzuki throwing t-shirts to the crowd. It was great. Oh, my God. That's so good. This is definitely the era when I saw them in concert the most, too. But it was, like, right after... No, because the Christmas album came out just before the Army Are Men. Yes. Duology, right? That's right. So I saw two or three of the Bare Naked for the Holidays tour shows right after our Me and Our Men had come out. Uh, so most of the tracks on those live albums, which I purchased at the merch booth at the end of the show, because then in that period, it was really, really cool. At the end of the show, you could go up to the merch table and buy a USB stick with the show you just saw on mm-hmm. it. Like they did really fast live mixing and you could take the show home. It was really, really cool. But most of the tracks on like those two live albums I now have from those shows I saw are Christmas songs and Army Our Men tracks. Yeah, they did Bare Naked for the Holidays and then after these, Snack Time, which was their kids' album, and that would be the last release with Stephen Page. But when we talk about the canon and their 15 major studio albums, and we'll, we'll get to those, we'll do some episodes about their other stuff, this really does kind of mark the beginning of the end for them as a five-piece. And it's, it kind of shows in the sense that, well, no one could probably foresee what was going to happen, but I mean, Kevin Hearn and Jim Cregan definitely got a lot more involved in this album. They get their own songs in this, while Tyler Stewart would continue to sing alcohol at concerts. Speaking of Kevin Hearn... During the Maroon episode, we also several times said, oh yeah, Kevin Hearn, he's such a nice guy. He just seems so happy to be there. He seems such a, like a really like sweet, wonderful dude. After one of the Bare Naked for the Holidays concerts that I didn't go to, but that my sister went to, who is also the artist who did our cover art for this podcast. She's very talented and great. It was a, it was a Bare Naked for the Holidays show at Massey Hall. And after the show, her and her friend Jackie went to Franz across the street and saw Kevin Hearn at France and said hi to him, but he was having dinner with Garth Hudson from the band who had done like a guest spot at the concert. Like they're like, and special guest Garth Hudson and brought him out. But when, when my sister and her friend walked up to Kevin Hearn in this restaurant, there was like four 17 year olds near them just gushing over the show. And Kevin's reply to them was, I'm just happy to be here having a beer with my hero. And he seemed like just the happiest guy in the world that he was just having a burger and a beer at Franz with Garth Hudson. And Garth Hudson famously did not say a single thing. He just had this giant beard and was just sitting there nodding, being like, oh yeah, this is great. I was really scared that that story was going to go another way where you're like, we met Kevin Hearn and he was an asshole. And I'm like, well, great. Everything we've, everything we've said about Kevin Hearn, no! uh, you know, he can't front a band. He's got his own band. He's a really sweet guy. He's a jerk. It's like, we should really do our facts on the keyboardist of the bare naked ladies. No, no, just everything about this story just uh, just confirms the the aesthetic that he seems to give off, just being this really, really cool, sweet, chill dude. Yeah, he just kind of so, radiates yeah. positivity and just, yeah, mm-hmm. affability. It's great. Like you said, first album to be released independently. It's just so disjointed. It has some great songs, but it's also got some really forgettable ones and, dare I say, a couple of stinkers, too. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's as good of a segue as ever to get right into the track listing. We open up with... Adrift. Your heart's got a heavy load. There's still a long way to go. Keep your eyes on the road. In my opinion, there goes their flawless record up to this point of strong opening tracks. 
it's a really weird one to open on. What do you think? Yeah, I, I agree completely. It's a really gentle opening track. Yeah. Like, I don't dislike this song, but I'm not really sure it's the right choice for a track one, but it feels like a choice. I don't know. When I first started listening to this again for the episode and knowing that this was their first non-major label release after Parting Ways, it kind of felt like a choice to say, ah, we can sequence however we want. We don't have to put the singles right up front anymore. We can do a, a quiet, folky sort of thing as track one we're in charge of our own lives now whatever we're masters of our own fate exactly take that reprise that being said i'm not sure it's the right choice no maybe they should have had that structure and studio input this was originally recorded for everything to everyone they really yeah they actually decided not to put it on that album and they stripped it down and made it more mellow i don't think that that was the right choice hern page and robertson wrote it and ed was the lead vocal so again right off the bat you do see that collaboration with Hearn getting a bit more input in terms of writing. Yeah, it's 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 okay. When I found out that Kevin was one of the writers on it, it kind of made sense because it's very much in the style of the songs that he has done and are featured on in their albums. Yeah, I, I really like some of the nature imagery in the song, though. There's a lot of good twists of phrase mm. in the song, like the birches bark, the willows weep, I'm adrift without a snowflake. Yeah. There's a lot of like really pretty images in the song, and I don't dislike the instrumentation. I mean, it has that Ed Robertson picky acoustic sort of thing yeah. going for it, but it's not, it's just not that memorable. It's really interesting because like the last six albums, there's been a hook, there's been something right at the beginning of each opening track, whether it be, you know, the horns for Hello City, whether it be just the banging guitars like those power chords for stomach versus heart like there's something Mm. that really kind of picks up or of course stunt it's been whereas here again it's mellow it just kind of leads into it and it just makes you it's just not memorable it's not memorable Mm -hmm. it's memorable for not being memorable if that makes sense because every time i listen to this album and to be honest it's not that often i'm always confused why adrift is the first track but the second track is much better in my opinion and one of the few songs on this album that i absolutely love bank job they can't teach you acting it's there in your soul it's the same with a bank job and each thing we stole so i don't need it you talk about how much you like Story from What Are Your Thoughts on This One? Uh, this is definitely one of my favorite Bare Naked Ladies songs. Oh, period. Which is interesting because it's not super memorable musically mm. to me. Like, it's not extremely catchy. It doesn't have that really hooky singability of a lot of their other, like, big single songs that I really, really like. But I just love that they wrote a bank heist song. Yep. And there's just a bunch of lines in it that just so quickly capture not necessarily or like not even not necessarily definitely not a real bank yes like this is absolutely written to evoke bank job movies yes rather than anything realistic like specifically the line about sawn offs yep uh and you look like an amateur (laughs) and that's the real crime you look like an amateur like it's just such a line that like dennis hopper would say in a movie like that or something it's so good one thing that does kind of bug me about it despite the fact that i do love this song is that the the bank full of nuns line it seems like the story was written to fit that sawn off shotguns 
bank full of nuns rhyme. Yes. Like, it feels like the rhyme came first and then they built the story and plot twist around it. And, like, I think you could have figured out a more interesting reason why they couldn't go through with the bank heist. I think that they actually backed themselves into a corner there because one of the things that I do love about this track that's is the very unique stanza structure, the rhyming couplet. So you've got groups of four, mm. which I really, really like. It makes the track even more memorable, but you are definitely right. They, you know, they kind of had the first three lines and they're like, shit, what rhymes with shotguns exactly? Who, <laughs> who would be in a bank and what would like make this uh, heist go horribly wrong? Yeah, like I think they should have decided what turns, like written the line about what causes them to pause and stop the heist first and then built backwards from there. It does feel like, yeah, they got to guns. They're like, ah, nuns, there we go. Which is also very funny because five or six years later, Ben Affleck would direct The Town, which is a film set in Boston about a bunch of bank robbers. And one scene, they famously dress up as nuns. So yep. Ben Affleck, maybe closet bare naked ladies fan. I would uh, put money on that, to be perfectly honest. I feel like it's too much of a coincidence. Yeah. Uh, ben Affleck, um, if you want to come on the podcast and clear the air. We also have a lot of questions about Batman v Superman as well. So yeah, specifically why he might be our listener in Toledo, Toledo, Ohio. Oh, that's true. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, thank you, uh, thank you to Dallas, Texas as well. Apparently, we have a couple of listeners from there. We're huge in Dallas. It's great. Very weird. Speak up. We want to hear your voices. We like the sound of your voice, which is the third track. <gasps> Oh, that was that was really hamming it up. Really, really messy to get there, but that's okay. The Sound of Your Voice is the first of the three singles on this album, written by Hearn, actually, and originally sung by him, but it was given to Stephen Page, which I think is a better fit. Which I absolutely did not know, and I am very floored and confused as to how Kevin would have sang this song. It would be so different. It really would. This is one of those songs that, like, they probably wouldn't play it anymore because it very much is such a Stephen Page song if that makes yeah. any sense. But it was one that really stood out to me during this era, seeing them live. Like, they just look like they're having fun with this track. Like, Stephen Page mm -hmm. in, looks like he's... You can tell, like, there are certain songs that bands really enjoy singing or playing. This is one of them. It's very, like, a lot of showmanship from Page when he sings it live. He's in, like, full crooner mode. We're really, really front-loading some of the songs that I like <laughs> on this album because, yeah, Bank Job and Sound of Your Voice are absolutely my top two tracks on this album mm -hmm. and i really really like sound of your voice because I, I i don't know about you but to me all the arrangement this sounds like a queen song to me yeah like, i could see that sounds like a this sounds kind of like a riff on somebody to love mm. like it's really got that kind of instrumentation behind it and it's not like the bare naked ladies aren't famous for doing harmonized backing vocals but there's something about the arrangement on the backing vocals of this that it just sounds like that kind of like falsetto chorus that you hear in every single queen song yeah and i love it yeah it's actually very true the don't give up um yeah. that, that yeah. is yeah. very evocative of queen yeah it's it's good it is it deserves to be a single, I think. Mm -hmm. The next track, though, kind of confusing. Easy. You make it easy. You make it easy. This really feels like a song off of their later albums without Page, to be honest. It kind of has that feel of everything 
post All in Good Time. And it really feels like it's all Robertson, but Page co-wrote this. And again, last successful single in the US with Stephen Page in the band. I don't know. It's, it's a weird choice for a single to me. Like it's okay, but not my favorite track off the album by a long shot. And I feel like there are more memorable ones. And I feel like there's a whole subgenre of Bare Naked Lady songs that are Ed Robertson lead vocals with a complicated acoustic picking pattern guitar, <laughs> uh, like bass underneath it. And, and some of those are my favorite songs of theirs. Like For You is one of my favorite Bare Naked Lady songs. Same thing with I, Am I the Only One mm. in some later records, Ordinary and, oh, I can't remember the other one off of All in Good Time. But yeah, there's two songs on that record that are Ed with an acoustic guitar doing a really complicated picking pattern. Yeah. And that's what Easy is. That's the main thrust of the song sonically. And I'm like, eh, this is fine. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't grab me like any of those other ones, and I don't know why. No, it's him doing his whole country thing, too. He's got, you know, his little country twang when he gets into the bridge. Yeah, it's 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 all right. It does have a bit of that, like, a classic country music theme as well, like, because it's about, like, a manipulative, manipulative woman. Yeah, yeah, true. And I feel like there's a lot of country songs that are like, you're not gonna, you know, tie me around your finger, <laughs> dear, you know, like that kind of stuff, and yeah... Yeah, it's it's not that interesting a theme to me lyrically, so yeah. Yeah. The next track is all page home. That's when I knew where I was. That's when I knew that I was home. Uh for me, too corny. It's a, it's a really corny song, which I don't usually associate the Bare Naked Ladies with. It's not sad boy page, it's happy optimistic boy page and I don't like it. <laughs> is it though? Because I have, like, I, I spent a long time looking at the lyrics of this song before doing this ep, and I have no idea what this song is about. Like, clearly it is about a relationship, but is is he happy about it? With the, with the whole home thing, like, is this similar to, like, there's that Billy Joel song where the saying, you're my home, mm. which is, a, like, a really nice relationship song. Like, is it the same theme as that? Because, or is it not? Because... There's parts of the lyrics that sound like it's like a relationship trapped in a vicious cycle or yeah. something. Like the line, uh, I could run, but I'm petrified and choose this instead again and again. It's it's happy and optimistic for Stephen Page. So <laughs> And there's also that line right off the top about I'm picking up pieces of your car. What does that mean? <laughs> What's happening? What's happening in the song? Did, did his what happened to my car? car? Did his girlfriend crash the car or something and he's upset about that? Like, I, I honestly don't know what's going on in this song. And I feel like maybe I should have done more homework before doing this episode, but I honestly, I have no idea. Stephen Page, what's the lyrical meaning of home? Well, uh, my, my wife took my Chevrolet and uh, the windshield wiper came off and I had to pick it up. Wasn't happy about it. Yeah, I got nothing. <laughs> this 50-minute interview with Stephen Page is over. <laughs> One song that I definitely do know the meaning for, Bull in a China Shop, is our next track. I'm a kid in a candy store. I'm a bull in a china shop. I'm a tired old metaphor for everything you can afford. And everything you can afford to be. One of the other songs I really like off of this it's a song that Page has essentially taken back during his solo career. The other guys don't play this, but he, when he tours solo, it's really kind of one of his staples of his sets. Which I think is a really, really good choice. This 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 song definitely feels like it's kind of an antecedent to a lot of Stephen Page's solo work. Not that I'm like super duper well versed yeah. in Stephen Page's solo stuff, but this this sounds like 
one of those. This yes. sounds like a like a solo Stephen Page song. Yeah. My my main note on this that I wrote down is uh, this is some real catchy Sad Boy Page. It really is. It's one of those songs that I actually catch myself humming sometimes. That little trill on the synthesizer that Hearn does the is great. The lyrics are fantastic. When it just gets into it, I'm a tired old metaphor. Bull in a china shop, of course, Ugh. it's great. All the fun that the law allows. See my face for the horns. Like I think it's just it's very very good. It, it's very self deprecating, but in a very positive and major key. Yeah, and I also I'd like to think that the speaker isn't actually supposed to be this bad. Yeah. Like to to me this song reads like it's like about a guy who just has a really bad self-image and blames himself for everything whether or not that's accurate or not. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's it's specifically the line I can't hear a thing cuz I stopped listening. Yes. That seems to me to indicate that all of this bad stuff that he thinks is doing is not necessarily as bad as he thinks it is and there's people in his life telling him no you're you're not a bad person but he has such bad self-image that he he can't bear to hear them tell him that they like him this is why he plays it on his solo concerts he just wants the audience to uh, affirm it's like no you're okay there's just single yeah, tear going down into these playing oh, it's no. like no steven it's all right <laughs> i think the audience would agree i'm, I'm, yeah. I'm no good no we love yeah. you all right yeah i i hope that this song is about someone with bad self-esteem and not about someone who actually is as much of a shit as the lyrics indicate yes and maybe that's why i relate to it so much because as someone who has struggled with low self-esteem their entire life i can oh, i can relate to this a bit and sometimes you do need to hear those affirming things very good very positive yeah. song good song yeah really, really good song yeah. yeah next song everything had changed then one day i was not alone everything had changed everything was strange Cregan co-wrote this one with Paige and Robertson, so again, there's that collaboration. I can appreciate this song, but it's not one I listen to a lot. It's kind of similar to me to I Live With It Every Day off of Born on a Pirate Ship, because you talk about Bull in a China Shop, you know, someone uh, kind of thinking that uh, they've got low self-esteem, they're crap. This song, definitely about that. I feel like it's a protagonist who's lost in self-loathing. Yeah, that's something that I wrote down too. I said like, yeah, definitely similar theme to Bull in a China Shop. This seems like, yeah, two songs in a row about having low self-esteem. Uh, it, it, yeah, it was, what was the line that I flagged? It was, uh, despite the hopeful words I've said, I've lived my life inside my head. Yeah. Yeah, I, it, it's just as closed off and alone. It really feels like, again, yeah, like a song about someone who just believes that they're terrible. Do you think it's got a positive message, though? The fact that everything has, had changed? Do you think it is something has, whether it be a relationship, whether it be realizing that things are a bit better and he's not alone? Possibly, but it sounds like maybe he's made friends with someone else who also uh, hates themselves. Yeah, it was on the path of life. I wish you well with urgent chariots. We will meet again in hell. Yeah. So it sounds like he's made a best friend who is also feels that they've done a ton of bad things. Maybe these are the protagonists off a bank job. Maybe they're just really upset. They. I uh, would really like that. It's just if a this concept is like a album. Sad prison song, like them together as bunk mates, being like, "Oh yeah, we shouldn't have threatened those nuns. One of we can't forgive ourselves for this." One of them gets out on parole. Well, I wish you well, and I'll see you in hell. Wait, what? Oh, that's really, really good. I really like that. Let's roll with that. That's our that's our theory. So if if we do end up building up a large enough audience that we end up making any merch for this podcast, though I feel like we're significantly ways away from that currently, I think a good catchphrase possibly for a t-shirt for this podcast is, hey, sweet bows. Because <laughs> I feel like everything is strange off the top of that song. Also, yeah, 
That was some sweet bows. Sweet bows from, going uh, on. From Jim's Creek in there. <laughs> you got to get the stand-up bass here. He has to justify why he carries that around on tour. It's like you could just use an electric. Nah, man. Can't do this with an electric. Speaking of Cregan, that's a good segue into the next song, Peterborough and the Kawarthas. This is Jim Cregan's solo track. This is going to be really mean, but apparently Uh-oh. this... Uh, I love you, Jim Cregan. Apparently this was a project he was workshopping for two years, this specific song. Really? Yeah, it doesn't feel like a song that should take two years to figure out. I'm with you on that one. That being said, this is probably my third favorite song on this album. Right on. All right, cool. I really, really, I really, really like this tune. Yeah, like, hell yeah. Uh, Jim's vocals are beautiful on this. It's got a ton of Ontario references, which obviously immediately strikes my fancy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a lot of really, really cool imagery. I really like the CBC reference with the weather forecast in the middle of it. (laughs) It's also a song I hadn't really thought a lot about the meaning of until recently. It feels like it's like, is this about like leaving your kid at the cottage and then missing them? Like, I think that's what this song is about. But I also can't can't tell whether or not he's like leaving his kid at the cottage with his wife but like are they divorced is this like a leaving your kid on the weekend like you're the off weekend sort of a song i don't know yeah it's also i I like that idea and i like that that interpretation it is funny you read about them producing and writing this album and a lot of the writing was done at like their respective cottages so maybe it just inspired Mm. him when he was just uh, driving up to cottage country being like uh you talk about the ontario references for those who are not from canada peterborough is basically the gateway to the Kawarthas, which are a chain of lakes in south-central Ontario. It's cottage country. It's beautiful. Kawarthas also have the Kawartha Dairy, which is one of my fondest memories of childhood. Whenever we'd go up to the Kawarthas, we'd stop. Very good ice cream. The Kawartha Dairy on the way up to my family's, my, my parents' place in Halliburton, which was our, our family cottage until my folks moved up there and turned it into a regular house. <laughs> yeah, but that Kawartha Dairy also now sells one of the only places in Ontario that I can regularly find my favorite snack food, which is the Picard's chip nut, Ooh. Uh, which are roasted peanuts covered in Pringle. Like imagine an M&M, but instead of chocolate covered in candy, it's a peanut covered in Pringle chip. That sounds absolutely delicious. It's freaking amazing. The salt and vinegar ones are like, it's like, oh, oh it's, it's absolutely incredible. I thought that you were going to say the core of the dairy now sells solo Jim Cregan albums. <laughs> the brother Cregan. <laughs> Yeah, you can get your uh, Brothers Cregan merchandise here as well. Oh, man, that would be really, really convenient. Further explanations for our uh, non-Ontario area listeners. When you're listening to the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation and they do the weather report once every 45 minutes, if you're in southern Ontario, they, like, go by region. It's always, like, the Greater Toronto Area Weather Report and this weather report. And then there's specifically the... And Peterborough and the Kawarthas, that's specifically a phrase used to introduce that weather report on our national radio station. Another cool fact, which I had no idea about you know, the province I'm from, uh, Peterborough's nickname at one time was the Electric City, as it was the first city in Canada to have electric streetlights. Go Peterborough. Oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah. In late university, a friend of mine was dating someone who lived in Peterborough, and whenever she, like, took the bus out of town to go visit her girlfriend, she'd always be like, hey, I'm uh, getting on the bus to the pit bow, (laughs) which I think is a great, which I think is a great, uh, nickname for the city of peterborough and i wish it would catch on but 
Pitbow, the Electric City. Like, similar to the T-Dot, I feel like Cardinal Official could do a good track about hanging out in the Pitbow. Well, maybe they're both right. Oh, I really hammed that up. The next, tra- <gasps> the next track is Maybe You're Right. I really like this song too. Uh, it's the only song on the album that's Ed and Steven singing together, and the build-up music. Oh, I didn't notice that. That's yeah, cool. it's yeah. it's kind of Ed just in the background, where it's the shall I shall I take back, and the build-up musically and lyrically to the climax of the song, I think is really well done. I I, I do like the nice horns at the end, mm-hmm. but that's like kind of my favorite part of the song. I don't know. Yeah. This 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 is one of the forgettable ones for me. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's um one that I really like. So that's interesting because your opinion of Peterborough and the Kawarthas is kind of my opinion on this one. So we just kind of flipped it there. Like Peterborough and the Kawarthas yeah. is good. It's just kind of not one that I'd listen to a lot. But I really do like. Maybe you're right. Mm-hmm. It's good. It's got a lot of you know sad boy page over it. I, I I don't think objectively it's a bad song. I think like it's a good song. It's well written. It's got interesting instrumentation. It just doesn't grab my ears as an individual listener. Yeah. I do like thematically. It does seem to be about regret after a relationship and being unsure whether it was your fault or not, mm-hmm. and then kind of shaking your head and saying like, no, 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 it wasn't my fault. It wasn't my fault. It was definitely all that. Yes, even though that might not be correct. I do like. That the climax of the song is pretty much that. It's like, yeah, you're questioning your whole thing, and then it's maybe you're right. And then the very last line is, but I don't think so. I think so, yeah. <laughs> so I like that thematically. Yeah, it just doesn't just it just doesn't grab me. Mm. And so yeah, I'm not quite sure right. Maybe maybe you're right, Chris. Ah, there we go. Because you like this song. Maybe you're right. But I don't think so. It's a good one-two punch for me, because maybe you're right goes right into the next track, Take It Back. Save me from a imagination deliver me from my friends this is great yes this is a great song yes a song i really like as well i find myself humming this to myself a lot and great musicianship throughout by her that keyboard line is hauntingly beautiful it's so good. i feel like that that's a phrase that's thrown around a lot but i feel like in this case it's a very apt yes 100% it's yeah, it's gorgeous, and it's a really nice song. It's one that they play a lot as a four-piece, which makes sense. It really showcases, yeah. really showcases Ed's Ed's vocals, like just his strengths. Mm-hmm. I really like it. I, I I'm always been aware that how uh, how amazing a guitar player Ed Robertson is as well. But I recently watched the Bathroom Sessions version of this song oh, yeah. as well, where he does the keyboard line but on an acoustic guitar and his fingers are just flying everywhere and it's insane that man is like insanely talented on the acoustic guitar i've had a lot of hot takes on the meanings of songs so Mm -hmm. far this app i think i recognize a lot of the references in this song like there's a lot of post 9-11 stuff going on lyrically in this song but i'm not sure what point it's trying to make yeah yeah. Do you have any theories? I just I think it's regret again. I mean, there's a lot of songs mm. about regret on this album. Yeah, just if I said something to make you mad, I'd take it back. I do like Save Me from this villainous imagination. Yeah. It does to me, I feel like it's someone stuck in their head again, questioning what they've said. You know, oh, have I upset you? Mm-hmm. Uh what am I doing? And you're concocting scenarios that are probably much worse than what the mm-hmm. actual situation is yeah. again someone i i do that a lot yeah as, as as you were saying earlier about you know this song speaks to me as someone who has 
suffered from low self esteem mm-hmm. at times. For me, as someone who has struggled with anxiety for a significant portion of my life as well, specifically the phrase "save me from a villainous imagination" is really, 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 really hits home. Yes, that's a that's a very poetic and concise description of of the feeling of anxiety, which is really, really, yeah, I really, really like that line. 100%, yeah, he nailed it. But again, what does that have to do with all of the 9-11 imagery in the rest of the song? <laughs> I don't I don't get it, because there's the bit about, think of all the lives saved by plastic knives we will never lose if our remo- we remove our shoes. That's clearly about security measures at airports after 9-11. Long lines and warning signs, yeah. Yeah, So, but what does that have to do with the with the... The chorus. It's like, it's weird. I don't know what I'm not getting. Maybe because Falling for the First Time was banned on American radio for a while after 9-11. It was them saying, listen, I'm really sorry. If we could name that something else, we'd take it back. I got nothing. I got nothing. Like, I, and again, I really, really like it because, like, I don't, like yeah, that, the, the, like, the weird 9-11 imagery sections are really, really cool, and I like them. I just don't know what they have to do with the rest of the song, so. Yeah, yeah, odd. We then go into Vanishing, which is Kevin Hearn's contribution. It's the wave of a wand. You'll pull your heart strings. He's a magician. Hoping, wishing. You're the one vanishing. It's, it's okay. It really doesn't fit into the rest of the album. I actually really like it as a Kevin Hearn song, but yeah. that's also not super high praise because, sorry, Kevin, you're a really nice guy as evidenced by your dinner at Fran's Diner, but um, his writing style isn't really my cup of tea. And this song, while I do think is much better than some of his other stuff, it's just, it really doesn't fit. I agree completely. That being said, I really, really like this song. I nice. feel like it. I feel like it doesn't fit as much as Peter Burr and the Kawarthas does. But mm. you didn't like that song either. <laughs> yeah, I think. I think it's cool that they're finding room for the other members of the band to kind of express their own, like their own individual sound. Yeah. On those tracks. Yeah, and I just really like Vanishing way more than Hidden Sun. Yes. For example, this is this is definitely of the Kevin Hearn fronted tracks. Like maybe like. Yeah, maybe like second or third yeah. favorite of his fronted tracks. Was originally going to be called Magician. It's pretty, uh, kind of does what it says on the tin. Yeah, exactly. I do like that. I'd imagine when he's workshopping, it's like, he's a magician. I'll call it Magician. Maybe you should go with something a bit better. All right, well, he's vanishing. But just, okay, fine, whatever. <laughs> so, so here's my question to you. Am I taking this song too literally? Because clearly it's a song about someone who's going through a breakup and missing someone i like to think that they literally are a stage magician i agree with that especially finding out that it used to be called magician i think it just is very literal yeah it's it's not that being a magician is a metaphor or something for this relationship shock i I think it's literally about a magician i find that much more interesting yes absolutely great i'm glad they were in accord on this Every time I think of magicians, I think of that story that you told me about, I don't know if it was you or a friend of yours who was doing um, door-to-door canvassing for a politician, and that old guy answered the the uh, door, and he was like, oh, he is a magician. 
Oh, that's actually, that's the same friend who was going on the bus to Peterborough. To visit oh, there you go. Girlfriend. So back in the day, a really, really good friend of mine was canvassing for the Davenport Riding MP, who is a really, really, really great guy. I voted for him. He's a fantastic, fantastic politician. But he also used to be in a punk band. And while she was canvassing, one person that opened the door was like this old Portuguese man. And they said, oh, I'm canvassing for Andrew Cash. And they said, no. They're like, ah, well, well, sir, could you just explain why you would not like to vote for our candidate? And he said, I voted for him last time, but I did not know he was a magician. To which she responded, uh, he used to be in a band. Do you mean a musician? Yes, magician. I am a good Christian. Good day, sir. And slammed the door. And to, like, they are unclear still whether or not they were upset he was in a punk band and meant musician, or if they meant they were, they thought they were a dark sorcerer of some kind casting spells in Ottawa. That, I, I'm just imagining just an entire series of smear commercials. Andrew Cash practices the dark arts. Apparently for the rest of the campaign, because everyone was told this story back at the campaign office, there was, there was like a recurring joke where they would say, ah, yes, and for my next trick, I will, shall make the deficit disappear. Oh, <laughs> uh. That would have been nice. It's good times. I, I think that uh, I would have just settled if he ruled the world with love. Oh, God, I am mm. off today. It wouldn't happen to a better man. It wouldn't happen with a better plan. While we were napping, someone else began to rule the world with love. <laughs> rule the world with love. Much like that segue. Eh. I the only note I, I have for this I haven't taken the lead on any of the segues so far, man. You're you're pulling all of this weight here, so thank you for that. Yeah, I'm pulling the cart, but the cart isn't moving anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Rule the world with love. It's, eh, not, not a big fan. It's forgettable. This also feels like a Stephen Page solo track to me. Yeah, and of all the 29 tracks that they decided that, oh, this is going to be like on the first album, just surprising. It just seems like a kind of throwaway. I have a hot take on the meaning of this song. Share. With only a very small amount of textual evidence to back me up. (laughs) I think the better man who has started ruling the world with love in this song is George W. Bush. Right on. And that the rule the world with love, because obviously it's not actually love in the lyrics, because there's some like dark sinister stuff going on here in the song. I think it's a reference to the idea that the Iraq war was supposed to be about spreading democracy, aka something positive like love, but it actually wasn't. I think that's what old Steve was trying and uh, Ed were trying to say with this song. But that's literally all the evidence I have. Well, I love that hot take because... When we were recording Maroon, which is now available for our listeners, mm-hmm. it was, we talked about that, that one track that was like, oh, people just speculated it was about the Iraq war. And it's like, but Maroon was released in 2000 and recorded in like 98, 99. So maybe now it's like, oh, well, I'm going to, uh, now we're really going to hammer home this point. You want a song about Iraq? We'll give you a song about Iraq. We're going to really, really embrace the fact that we accidentally put the psychic waves out there and somehow caused the, uh, the uh, second Gulf War. With our several tracks off of Maroon. We single-handedly caused the second Gulf War. It's all our nice boys' fault, but uh, they put out a bunch of really good records because of it. Yeah, this, this song is catchy, but it's, uh, yeah, again, not terribly memorable for me either. No. Yeah. But the next song, and the final song of the album, is memorable. It's very good, and I think it actually is the perfect song to close everything up. Wind it up. Wind me up, my dear. 
and the last single of the record as well. I like it. What do you think? I think, yes, it is the perfect song to wrap everything up, but I, I think it would have been better starting the album off. Yeah. I think this should have been track one. Yeah. And I think Adrift should have been moved further into the record, and then you can maybe keep most of the sequencing the same. Yeah. Hundred percent. Yeah, I think yeah. Move, move, wind it up to track one, and then move a drift to like after bull in a china shop, maybe. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's really good and it's really fun. It's probably the most fun song off of the album. There's a lot of you know like weighty deep themes here. There's a lot of stuff about regret, anxiety, like we talked about the Iraq War in 9/11. But this is just it's just like a full on fun song and features actually a guitar solo by Kim Mitchell of Patio Lanterns fame. That is so great, and I did not know that, and I love that. It's so good. That's yeah. so so good. It's also got the line, as a kid, I learned to suck, but you've raised it to an art form, which I love. It's such a I good... did flag that line as well. That's yeah. very, very funny. And like just the right amount of gross. I also kind of like it where it's just like, oh, I learned to suck. Like, oh, I wasn't a cool kid. Now, like, you're a real loser. I, I thought he meant like at, at his mother's breast. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought that's what he meant when he was a kid. He learned to suck as a baby. You definitely could. Yeah, you could interpret it in a very explicit way or just like him just being mean. Either way, it's uh, it's it's very fun. It's good. It's also, I remember during this era of them when they were touring, I'm pretty sure this was the song that closed a lot of their shows before they went into the encore. So when I heard it, it also had a cool place in my heart because I'm like, oh boy, we're going to hear Million Dollars soon, <laughs> which was great because when they were playing Million Dollars, they'd always give a shout out to their sound guy when there's just the banter happening you know we wouldn't have to eat craft dinner then they go into it and then it's like all right we got brian at the sound desk today and i'm like that's great i think i remember that <laughs> yeah just yeah. like every show it would be like shout out to the new sound guy that we've got i'm like oh that's nice i think that's nice i mean it's a really really important job and that isn't always referenced and you know like uh, i think that's good to give a shout out to your technicians it's a it's a very important job that you don't really get a lot of praise for because people expect you to perform flawlessly and it's a really difficult thing so it's like well i did a really good job well that's what you're supposed to do it's like yeah. it's 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 one of those jobs where you you did a good job if no one noticed that you were doing your job yes and that's always tough because then yeah it's it's not like a flashy thing you're gonna get praise for yeah because ideally no one notices that you're there despite doing all of this like really important thankless work but lighting technicians man they get all yeah, the man. praise and that's it that is bare naked ladies army or blam i think we've kind of surmised our opinions but ephraim final thoughts so we we led off saying that neither of us really really liked this album very much but especially compared to going through maybe you should drive i feel like we weren't saying as many tracks were bleh as we yeah. went through this as we went through it i felt like no we're saying actually most of these are pretty good yeah that being said i don't think it really changes where the album lays in my position of favorite albums i still don't think it feels very cohesive even if track by track there's a lot of kind of cool interesting stuff going on yeah yeah i agree i think maybe you should drive i've said this before feels like a failed experiment where, you know, they were writing separately. I think the the issue with this one is that, yeah, there are just, there, there's so much material that they recorded. So it's just this quantity over quality thing, I feel, like with those 29 tracks that they just churned out over three years. And 
they're better as musicians now. Like that's the thing. They've grown. So even the songs that we're not gonna be super impressed with or just forgettable, they're still good at their roots because they are very good musicians both lyrically and musically. Again, I have no proof to back this up, but I feel like maybe suddenly being released from like the record label oversight, they felt like, no, we can just put out all of this stuff yeah, because we want to and we think it's all amazing when in actuality, maybe they should have taken that 29 songs and whittled it down to 13. Yes, 100%. And I think... I think at the end of next ep, I'm going to produce a list of what I think that single album should have been. I like it. It's going to be a nice... Uh, nice Sequenced and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Bare Naked Ladies are me, parentheses, and a parentheses is the name <laughs> of the record. Ephraim, where can people find you during this lockdown? During this lockdown? Uh, so you can find me on Instagram at Ephraim Ellis. Technically, I did sign up for Twitter again at... Ephraim Ellis, but I have not posted anything. It was mostly to keep someone from stealing the handle because I got off Twitter and was suddenly like, oh, wait, no, someone's going to steal my username. No, I got to get it back. Identity theft is not a joke. <laughs> it's important. It's important. It's very, very important. But that also means that I can sign on to the uh, Club Men Discuss Bare Naked Ladies Twitter account as now as well. That is right. That is a good segue into saying that you can follow us at our official podcast Twitter handle, CMDBNL. Give us a follow. We post the newest episodes there. We retweet a lot of stuff that Stephen Page and other members of the band are saying. We will also retweet a, a couple of the posts that fellow Bare Naked Ladies podcasters will tweet because apparently there's four or five different Bare Naked Ladies podcasts. We will be making a guest appearance on Bare Naked ABCs that will be coming out soon. So give that a listen when that drops. You can also find me on Twitter at csmall201 and Instagram at csmalltraveler. Be sure to please give us a like, smash that like button as all the kids are saying leave us a review let us know what you think of kevin hearn nice guy popular lead singer can he front he can front a band but does he do it well let us know i will be so surprised if anyone says anything negative about that man because he seems like a saint yes although he does seem to have an unhealthy infatuation with magicians and we know that that doesn't go over well in certain sectors of toronto that doesn't play well in toronto depending on what your riding is oh right I had no idea where you were going with that, even though I was the one who told that extremely lengthy anecdote two seconds ago. Uh, just ties it all together. Oh, man, perfect. Thanks again for listening. We will touch base with the eighth episode soon, where we are talking about the remaining tracks. Bare Naked Ladies Are Men. Probably going to be the same vein as this one, but uh, you'll have to stay tuned to find out. In the meantime... Really, part two of this episode, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, it'll be episode 7.5. Yeah. In the meantime... I'm Chris Small. And I'm Ethan Ellis. And we, we have, have been clothed, clothed the whole, the whole time. time. Nailed it. Nailed it. See you next time. Bye.